What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, and so great to be back on the radio because for the first two days, I got shut out. <laughs> I was shut out on the radio because the voice Whoops. you hear who is laughing is Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. Mark, do you want to explain to the people why I was totally and completely shut out? Listen, somebody had to go to the Breakers <laughs> and Palm Beach and do those shows, and it was going to be me, Johnny, yeah. and, uh, and I did them. Um, we had guests on. We had Nick Casario, Lovey Smith, others, Greg Grissom, president of the Texans, and it was just great to be down there. And uh, sorry about that, but uh, that's just the way it went. You know, it's a tradition. At the owners' meetings, I do the shows. It's just one of those things. You have time to go gallivant with the Bearcats like you that's did true. yesterday, pro day at Sam Houston State. I did. I did go down to or up to Huntsville to hang out with Casey Keeler. So our buddy John Perry, former receivers coach here with the Texans. He is the offensive coordinator up there. Had a chance to see, uh, as they're known, which uh, it's not uh, all that creative, but they call them the twins because they are twins. Mm -hmm. They're identical twins. Zion and Tristan McCollum, they worked out. Jaquez Ezzard, the entire group. I thought about this, uh, Mark, and I want to hear more of what went down uh, at the breakers. I want to talk about overtime um, and everything that went on there. But this was a group that had won 21 games in 2021. Mm. Oh, because of spring. Right. Because they had a full spring season of 10 games, turned right around and went back to a regular fall season and had won 21 straight. And then, of course, they they lost to Montana State in the playoffs. And I was talking to Coach Keeler, and I, I wondered this. I asked him this. In our TV production meetings throughout the year, I said, do you feel your team fatiguing? He's like, no, no. And then near the end of the year, I'll never forget the last production meeting. He's like, yeah, we're we're having to we, – we really need to kind of keep it together because they've played a lot of games. Yep. And he's like, they're trying to – you know, he didn't use the word load management, but that's what they were trying to do. Yeah. And dudes were just beat up. And Montana State came in there and, and uh, did, a, did a number on them in the playoffs. But to win 21 games in a row – not even in a calendar year, in 10 months. Jeez. Just, inc- just incredible. You know, the data from that would be very interesting for the sports science people. Yes. The wear and tear factor. Yeah. And Casey, one thing he mentioned to me, North Dakota, North Dakota State came back and won a championship this past year. And he said he had talked to the to the Bison uh, people and coaches, and he just said they, in the spring, it was a little different vibe for them because they were having some games canceled, and so they had adjusted their schedule in the spring. And so when they came back for the fall, he said they were a lot fresher, and he said, you guys were just going right on through, which they did. Uh, Sam Houston State went right on through. Uh, the playoff games were incredible in the spring. Uh, unfortunately, lost again in Montana State. But it's always fun to be down there at Pro Day. Uh, but this group in particular, because I call a lot of their games on TV, and so had gotten to see – I had seen the Twins – I'd seen almost every home game of the Twins from 20 20- – 16 on I mean it was just it's incredible to see them they worked out and they worked out well but Mark I would say over 20 plus 20 plus teams were there wow yeah 20 plus which I would think for an FCS program is pretty good and there were at least four teams that had more than one scout or coaching person or coach there 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 were at least Three I can think of. Obviously, our guys were running running the thing, so there were three of our scouts there. Uh, but then there were other teams. One team had sent a coach 
down there to work out one of the players, like run position drills, Jeez. which is the way pro days go. If a coach is there, the coach takes precedent. He runs he runs pretty much everything. So um, it was it was good. It's hot. It was hot. Wait, but uh, when but do it was they? Good. When does Sam Houston go FBS? Aren't they there yet? It's a great question. They're going into Conference USA in 2023. So I talked to athletic director Bobby Williams, and he said 2022. They, in anticipation of going to Conference USA, they're going to start giving scholarships. So that makes them ineligible for the uh, 2022 championship. But then 2023, they'll be in Conference USA. They'll have to play one year without being able to go to a bowl. Mm-hmm. Then 2024, they'll be bowl eligible. Why do they uh, have to play they a year without being able to it's, go to a bowl? If they're good enough to go to a bowl, they're good enough to go to a bowl. I know, but you know how the NCAA is and some of the things that they end up doing. I mean, it's... That's it's crazy. like uh, Bellerman in basketball, which yes. I once did yes. in a D2 championship game on Westwood 1. Right. They're in Louisville. I didn't even know who they were, and I did the research. And right. now they're in, I forget which league, but they were in the championship. It was A-Sun because it was Jacksonville. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were in the championship game, won it, but Jacksonville went. Right. Well, yeah, Bell- yeah no, yeah, yeah. It was something, but Jacksonville was in the final, and Jacksonville – Lost the final to to Bellerman, but Bellerman couldn't go, yeah. and so the team that won the act the actual league title got to go in the regular season. Yeah, and so it was weird because Jacksonville was like, "Wait a second, if we're playing this thing, why let Bellerman play?" Right, then? exactly. It, it makes no it sense. made no sense to let them and play, and if they were ineligible to win it, I thought it was just dumb. But it's dumb. But they should be eligible because hey, they'll why not let them take their chances? Yeah. it's not like they're dropping down a level and they're decompressing from being a level above. Right. Look, they're trying to scratch and make it, and if they make it, great. But if not, why allow them to bump off teams that otherwise would have a shot to win it right. as well? So yeah, that doesn't absolutely. make sense. So how is West Palm? The uh, Breakers. All right, so it's Palm. West oh. Palm is oh, the, it's different. That's oh, the other side oh, of the tracks, oh. darling. Uh, yes. Uh, now, the well, you know, West Palm is fine, but Palm Beach, Johnny, it is unbelievable really? as a place. And look, <laughs> we were at, in a hotel there, not really going around about town. I've been there before because I've done events there when I was living in South Florida, that kind of thing. This is a phenomenal place, but. Look, I, I joked about it on the air. This whole thing might as well have been at the Des Moines Marriott, you know, because you're in conference rooms all day. Yeah. Uh, now, one big thing, one big change about this was the Texans radio table, and you might have seen the picture on the tweets, yeah. was outside. And that was nice because it was about 76.5 degrees and no humidity. Uh. It was perfect, Johnny. So that was great being able to interview Casario and Lovey and everybody else we had on the shows outside yeah that was cool so from our perspective great and i've always said this about the owners meetings which is the nickname for the nfl annual meeting i've always said this about that event it is just so strange to go to the receptions and you're on the shrimp cocktail line with andy reed and ron rivera and everybody's just a normal person trying to get their food and have a good time and talk and there's so many league executives there and the league office is growing because everything's growing. We're right. growing here. You have more digital media and marketing's different and all of that. You have a lot of those people there from the NFL, so it expands the whole pool. Right. So you're just having conversations with people and people from other teams who do similar jobs that we do. And then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of forget where you are a little bit. You don't forget, but my point is all of a sudden flashing across your face is Bill Belichick who just you know yep. walked by or whatever. And I'm name dropping now, which I do from time to time, as okay. everyone knows. So it's really cool to be at an event like that to see everybody sort of letting their hair down 
and enjoying themselves from time to time. But most often they're in meetings and they're doing stuff. And yesterday it wound down very quickly. Once Roger Goodell spoke, the whole thing was kind of over. And I think a lot of families stay and that sort of thing. But a lot of the GMs, coaches, they want to get right back out on the road like Nick Casario and Lovey Smith did. They want to go to pro days. They want to continue to research what is going to happen before the draft because they want to get the 2021, 2022, rather, Texans up and running properly. Yeah, and that was the first thing I thought about when Nick was there. Um, And, and, well, Nick and Lovey because they've obviously been making the pro day rounds. I was like, oh, I'm out at pro day, and they're not. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a thought. But I was obviously uh, at Sam Houston. And then Friday, today's Wednesday, right? Yeah. Friday will be the University of Houston. Yeah. Over at the University of Houston. So that's going to be, uh, I would think, I would think pretty well attended, especially for a couple of guys that are over there. Marcus Williams, Marcus mm-hmm. Jones, excuse me, corner. Uh, Demarion Williams, who has done a nice job and did a nice job. I think he was at the East-West Trying game. And then, of course, Logan Hall, who has gotten a lot of love I mean, you talk about a freaky-looking dude. Holy smokes. The opener against Texas Tech was right here. Yeah. We had the kickoff game. And I was walking both sidelines. And you know how I am. I go to live college games. I'm checking guys out. Okay, what does this guy look like in the future? How's it going to be? And I saw Marcus Jones. And I was like, okay, he's not a big guy, but this dude can play. Well, I just happened to be walking the sidelines, kind of not paying attention. I've talked to a couple people. I turn around, and I have that moment of, you know, like Shooter McGavin does, yeah. and Happy Gimmer, like, oh my, God. you know, when he, <laughs> when he Logan, sees Lurch, I, yeah, I saw Logan Hall, and I was like, this guy, my goodness, I mean, just an absolute beast of a man. I mean, a, a just monster. So he was, um, he, and then he 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 plays like it. Mm-hmm. So it is going to be interesting to see him at uh, Houston Pro Day on Friday. So Nick and Lovey, I would imagine we'll get over there, one of the two, if not both, getting over there to local Pro Day will be kind of fun. But while you were at the Breakers, mm-hmm. overtime was decided upon. Yes, it was. So what are we thinking here about this? So I – well, I've when it comes to overtime, I'll, I'll give my – I. I know where you stand, but I want to I want to see what you think mm-hmm, about this. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you that, that missed it, I think it was Indianapolis and Philadelphia had submitted to the league to, in overtime, give both teams an opportunity yeah. with the football. In the playoffs, I, okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of college overtime-ish because in college overtime, both teams get the ball 25. Now, I don't like that because uh, college overtime can – yeah, it's Anyways, crazy. It can kick rocks. But when I saw this, I thought, okay, it's at least fair. If you go to overtime, the game's been tied at 60 minutes. I think the one thing that's bothered me about it is something that you've brought up a lot, and that is the incentive to win the game right there yep. at that moment. But if you're going to overtime, it's like, eh, yeah, go to overtime. We'll have a shot. They'll have a shot. Yeah. Away we go. So this is only for the postseason. Mm-hmm. But – I haven't I haven't really I don't really get worked up about overtime because my thought process has always been if you get through 60 minutes and you haven't done one extra thing to win the game or one other thing to win the game then um maybe you don't deserve to win the game at that point right. maybe you don't deserve a possession if you can't stop them so I've not really been all that um hopped up on overtime but I understand why people do I mean I get it and I know you and I have had talks about this with overtime. 
I'm okay with the way they had it. Like, all right, cool. But I think it's equitable that both teams do get the ball in overtime, especially in a postseason game. I wish they would just do it, like keep the same rules. I hate the fact that when you're in a playoff game, you're like, all right, remember, you're in a playoff, so now the overtime rules change. Why just do it for the whole thing? Do it for the whole season. Do it for the the preseason, regular season. They already feel like the games take too long, Johnny, and they want to get out of that that window. They want to get to NCIS in prime time or whatever the case is. Whatever the network is, they want to get to the other programming or the afternoon game. Yeah. The look, when you get both teams in possession of the ball, the game could go on for a while. It still does anyway. How many times have we seen with the Texans? You have this 10 minute overtime period. We go back to the Colts in 2018 at the buzzer in overtime. Now you drained a little bit of the clock at the end there, but at the buzzer in overtime, you kicked a field goal to win it. Right. Uh, the overtime with – was Dallas an overtime Dallas game? Dallas was overtime. Dallas was overtime as well. And that was not on the first possession, correct? I think that we got the ball. We got, they got the ball. We stopped them. Remember Zeke yeah. got stopped, I think, on a third and one. They punted. Right. Got the ball. And then we scored in the second possession. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Buffalo. Let's do yeah. that one now. Right? Well, how many possessions was that? No, that was uh, Texans have it, punt. Buffalo has it. Should have won it, maybe. Should have, would have, could have. Right. But the weird penalty. Block back, yeah. You get it back, mm-hmm. and we all know the rest of the story. So, look, both teams get the ball plenty of times. But the time, like Buffalo, Kansas City, where one of the team doesn't, one of the teams doesn't get the ball, it really leaves a mark, and it has in Western New York in such a big way. Also, with Brady and the Chiefs at Arrowhead, right? postseason AFC championship game they score the touchdown game over Chiefs don't get a chance yeah Chiefs don't get a chance to touch the ball you know what I've tried to fight this one obviously I didn't win it (laughs) uh I always thought sudden death was the way to go because come on I am a make it stop kind of guy and the data the data backs me up the team that wins the coin toss does win this is pre Mm -hmm. you know you get an extra possession if they kick a field goal you don't if they score a touchdown on the opening possession pre that the team that won the coin toss did win more often than not but it wasn't by a ton and it wasn't on the first possession Mm -hmm. they just happen to get the first possession they might punt they might get it back and win the following on the following possession so to me it really wasn't that broken but the times that it doesn't work are so glaring they had to do something. And you know what? The ratings are crazy. So in the postseason, you want to inflate those ratings even more? It's the playoffs, baby. Go ahead. Play more football. I'm fine. When you said things have, are great, it made me think about the contract that Cleveland gave to Deshaun. Yeah. Did you sense that was a talking point? Did you sense that it was vitriolic in some sense for teams for with, for other teams yeah for other teams yes i mean was that was that anything that was talked about amongst the people that were there i know that uh the other owners denied it mm-hmm. and i'm not saying that i heard things necessarily directly right but there was plenty of talk about it because how could there not be yeah yeah it's not just the guarantee it's the amount that was guaranteed right. and how much more it is than anything else that was ever given. Right. Guaranteed. Right. 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 Like if you went another few million more than Aaron Rodgers is getting, would that have been enough to land him? Would that have been enough to make him wave the no trade clause for Cleveland and select Cleveland as the winner of this sweepstakes? I don't know. Right. But the fact is they went 
way beyond what they needed to do, apparently, to get him. And I think, I mean, my, my honest feeling, and it's just a feeling, is that it does bother some other people. But, hey, if you can afford it, if they can afford it, maybe the whole league can afford it, maybe this is where we're going. But who said it? Biscotti, who admitted yeah, Biscotti, it, right? Yep. Uh, he's right. It's going to affect things. How could it not? He's trying to re-sign a franchise quarterback right now. And Lamar Jackson might not be the passer that Deshaun Watson is, but he's got a case. He's an MVP. Yeah. Look how good the team plays when he's in the lineup. I mean, yeah. they play so well when he is a healthy quarterback. Yeah. So, uh, look, I don't know where it's all going to go. But, but Lamar won't talk to him. I mean, strange. Lamar doesn't have it. Well, I mean, Lamar's mother is his agent. Yeah, but he says he wants to be a Raven. I know. He I know. Said, it's it's The Lamar situation with the Baltimore Ravens is maybe the oddest situation that I that I can remember just from the standpoint of they want to they want to lock him up and Lamar's over there like yeah I'm good. I mean that's the way it seems. I I don't think it's totally that way. Mm-hmm. But it does certainly feel like he he's kind of taking that stance of I'll call you. I'll call yeah. you. Yeah. I so I I don't know if they've made an offer but I can't remember if it was Biscotti or if it was um Eric DaCosta, the GM for the Ravens, had said something to the extent of, well, I mean, Lamar would have to, Lamar's got to come to us, which I'm – he's always done things differently. His mom has been his agent in the post-draft – the uh, pre-draft stuff. Nobody talked to him. She wouldn't let him. He wouldn't do it. The only person that talked to him was Andre. Mm-hmm. That was the only person that they let speak – to Lamar in any way, shape, or form. So it, that one, that one's interesting to me. But if it comes back that the Browns giving that contract they did to Deshaun ends up impacting the Ravens in some way, shape, or form, I mean, come on now that that's <laughs> that's take that's taking AFC Northness to a, to a whole right, different, so you know what different this, level. You know what this Watson deal is. It's the Steve Bomber Clippers purchase as it applies to NFL contracts. Steve Bomber bought the Clippers in 2014 for $2 billion, right? $2 billion with a B. At the time, it was unthinkable. You weren't thinking that an NFL team could go for $2 billion. But the Clippers went for $2 billion, which inflated the value of every sports franchise. So at the time, every sports franchise owner said, Yay! Yeah. This guy just drove up the price for everybody. Right. I mean, what did what did the Texans go for? Right. Four. Right. I mean, it's seriously in a market like this, National Football League. I know the NBA global brand. I get it, but the NFL's worth something here, and and more billions than an NBA team, unless it's the Lakers, Knicks. Uh, I think I'm done now. Right. Yeah, I think it's Lakers. I think Knicks. I think that would be about it. Possibly the Celtics. I guess you know these. Some of these brands are bigger than you think. Yeah. Uh, globally, anyway. Globally, yeah. But I mean, obviously, the Lakers and the Knicks are worth a ton, especially the Lakers. But the point is this: now, just as every sports franchise owner then was happy that Bomber paid right. that much because it meant their franchises were going to go up in value. Right. Every quarterback and quarterback agent in the league oh. right now, you know, you're Justin Herbert of the world. I have to say. Salivating. I can't wait to get to that table. Now, the fact that Jackson is waiting, look, it sort of increases the leverage, I guess. You know, is Jackson as good as Watson? Does it even matter, really? He's certainly, if he's not as good, if you had a draft 
and took all the Watson extracurricular stuff yes. out of it, yes. I would bet Watson would go before Jackson. But it's not that big of a drop-off. I mean, no. all right, I'll take $200 million guaranteed, yeah. whatever the case may be. I mean, at that point, to, to your – to your point, I mean, I mean, you could you could look at us and and you know we won we won four games, you know, without Deshaun in twenty twenty one. We won four games with Deshaun in twenty twenty. Yeah. Now, obviously, I get the fact the team, all that kind of stuff. Sure. The Ravens were arguably one of the top three teams in the AFC. Yeah. With Lamar, Lamar gets hurt, and they get they don't even get to the playoffs. No, is that right? They did not. Yeah, they didn't get to the playoffs. No. So he's got that. Oh, and the fact that he had that MVP season in 2019, and he was just he was he was electric at that point. So from just a perception angle, those are two massive items mm-hmm. that end up being uh, hugely important and hugely in the favor of Lamar Jackson. But either way, um, that I thought that was interesting, kind of just watching from afar hearing that the owners are going to be upset and and wondering, I mean, look, they're probably not going to come right out and say it. You're not going to have, you know, you're not going to have, I don't know, um, you're not going to have Jerry Jones running over to, I mean, he signed his quarterback, but you're not going to have Mike Brown from the Bengals go running over to Albert Breer and say, Albert, I'm really mad at the Browns for the no, contract no. they gave to the show. They might Watson. hear people say, like, that's ridiculous yeah. or something. Yeah. They might have overheard that or heard that directly from somebody. Yeah. And that's how that stuff gets out, Johnny. Uh, all the reporters, the Breers of the world, the Ian Rappaports, they're all mingling around the lobby. Conversations happen. They go to the reception. Things are said, I would suppose. And and that's how those things get out. One more for you related to the Ravens, though. And this is something we can talk about on another day. Mm-hmm. But I want a quarterback taken in this draft or as an undrafted free agent to be sort of like the Texans' Tyler Huntley. Because Huntley for the Ravens was definitely interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And effective. So. He's not Lamar Jackson. Right. But he's a spark. He and nearly a spark won the game plug. against the Packers. Yeah. You have a guy like that who has some upside who could be explosive potentially in case something happens to your starter. That's all I'm talking about when I talk about the Texans, my my desire to have them maybe draft somebody late or get an undrafted free agent QB if one's available that they like. Well, I had a conversation with John Perry about his nephew EJ played at Brown. That's your guy. I'm telling you, that's my guy for a number of a number of uh, different reasons. Now, I was at Pro Day yesterday in Huntsville at Sam Houston State. So I talked about with Drew Doherty under the lab a little bit of that. We shared a few of our favorite Pro Day stories, including a former Hutto Hippo. Yes, the Hutto High School Hippos. Alliteration at its best. That's next on Texans All Access. That's next on Texans All Access. That's next on Texans All Access. That's Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. It's time to go in the lab with Drew Doherty, and we are talking pro days. Let's roll. What's up, friends? And what's up with you, John Harris? How are you? I'm doing well, Drew. Uh, back from Huntsville, Texas yesterday. Uh-huh. I went to Sam Houston State Pro Day, and it's it was an interesting pro day, Drew, for, for me from a number of different perspectives. I know there are a lot of pro days going on, but... I have, I've essentially grown up with that group of guys that have been there for a while. Uh, the McCollum twins, I saw them when they were true freshmen, and I've been calling their games ever since. And one of those twins is 
probably going to go in like the yeah. top three or four rounds. He's a really good cornerback. Yeah. yeah. And I think his twin brother as a safety is going to end up getting drafted too, especially after his pro day yesterday. And it just so happens that one of my best friends in life is their agent. Um, so of course he gives me an earful and I'm like, <laughs> man, I, I've, I've covered these guys. So it was sort of bittersweet to see all these guys uh, knowing that they're leaving Sam and I called all those games, but it was good. It was good to be down there. I saw former Texans wide receiver coach, John Perry, who's Love now the guy. offensive coordinator yeah. at Sam Houston. So we got a chance to awesome. get a chance to catch up and it was a, it was a good day. And Drew, it shows you what Casey Keeler's, you know, built there at Sam Houston because man, I got to say at least 24 different teams were represented and there were a number of them that were represented by two or more scouting and or coaching personnel uh, people. So it was really interesting to see uh, the amount of people, scouts, teams represented there. It wasn't quite like A&M, but I felt like the performance far outweighed what happened at A&M, the one I went to last week. Yeah, that's remarkable stuff. And we're going to talk about pro days because we hear pro days. These guys are going to pro days. We've heard about Lovey Smith going to all these pro days, and he has. He's been to Texas A&M, Michigan, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Georgia, just to name a few. He'll be at some more. Nick Casario also has been at UTSA, yep. you know, Texas A&M. He's, he's making the, the rounds. The Texans basically have a scout or some representation at almost every pro day. There's going to be some exceptions here and there, and sometimes that doesn't matter. Sometimes the Texans won't go to a pro day and they'll wind up taking a player or two from that school. So don't read too far into it, but just know that there's something to it when they either are or are not there. But what is a pro day? Some of you might ask, what the heck is that? Essentially it's a chance for the seniors or guys who are leaving that school to work out for NFL scouts. And in a perfect world, they do the 40 a few times they do the bench. They do the vertical leap, sometimes a standing broad jump. Um, they do some three-cone drills. You know, they'll do, sometimes they'll have some workouts. You know, the first pro day I ever went to was back, I think, in 06, 07, Texas Tech. Had some pretty good teams out there yeah. with Mike Leach in the, the later part of that first decade of the century. And, you know, outside at Jones AT&T Stadium, the wind was whipping, and you had these guys – doing their uh their 40 i remember Jarrett hicks was a wide receiver from the houston yeah, area yeah he had a thousand yard season he was a pretty good guy he went through some stuff the scouts were all there like you mentioned scouts back then were a little surlier than they are now and there were some things that were said that it's like it's pretty eye-opening because you're used to covering a team and all the, the coaches there but then the nfl comes in and it's a different beast and so you saw it then and then a couple years later in the 2009 pro day Tech was coming off maybe the best season that they'd ever had in school history. Yep. That was a team with Crabtree scoring the touchdown against the Horns. He wasn't at that pro day, but a lot of his teammates were from that team. And that one was inside. And I will never forget, they had a great left tackle, a guy named Rylan Reed. Yeah. He was in his late 20s. Well, he's like in his mid-20s at that point. He had played some minor league baseball for the White Sox and then came back yes, to, yes, yes. to school. He was probably going to get drafted. He I think he put up 49 on, on the bench. I mean, he's incredibly strong. I remember there's a sign when he, when they played Texas and somebody in the, in the student section, put us a, a poster up that said, Rylan Reed can bench press to Brian Iraq pose. So he was really strong, but he was running the 40 and in the final, like 10 meters of his 40, his knee essentially exploded. 
and it was awful. He never got drafted, never wound up playing in the NFL, but he probably would have had it not been for that pro day. And I thought of that when David Ojabo uh, at yeah. Michigan, when he, he had his problem uh, a couple weeks back with his Achilles, he's probably going to get drafted though, but a different, a different story. Anyways, those pro days were my first glimpse at it. And then later on in 14, we started going to them more because the Texans had the first overall pick. So that year we went to an A&M pro day where we saw Nick Casario with the Patriots throwing passes to Travis Labhart and some other guys. And then we went back to A&M a couple weeks later because Johnny Manziel and Mike Evans were going through a pro day. And that's no pro day will ever match that. I'll say it right now nope. because President George H.W. Bush and Barbara Bush, they were there. Their dog. They dogs. They were in a golf cart. <laughs> yeah. You had Drake. You had everybody from the media was there. I mean, I think ESPN had a, a set built, especially. It was, it was just a fun experience and really fun to see. Johnny was wearing pads and a helmet, maybe just to make him look bigger. You know, because he did, he doesn't look as big and and street clothes and and all that stuff. And it was fun to see. Uh, it was a really unique experience. But then we also went to Baylor a couple times in the years after. Got the gut pack from VTEX each time we went. <laughs> yeah. I miss that. By the way, there's just today, and we didn't get to make it. But yeah, you've you've gone to a few this year. What have been your ex- experiences, and how's that meshed with what I've just described in years past? Yeah, I think it's pretty similar to that, Drew. What I've, I've found interesting at both A&M and Sam Houston, those are two I've gone to. I'll go to U of H on Friday uh, as well. They've had a number of a number of prospects. There have been some pro days where you look out there and they might there might be six or seven guys working out, and that's it. And you go, there's not one of those guys that's going to end up making it to the NFL. The two guys that they know are going to the NFL, they worked out the combine, they blew it out of the water, and there's no yeah. sense for them to work to work out. And so that's where a pro day gets kind of interesting. And, and you bring up the surly scouts, which I always find I find interesting because you have with scouts, you have a lot of grizzled veterans that have seen it all. And then you've got a lot of younger guys that are, you know, fresh on the scene. Some of them having either played with those guys or played against the guys that they're now covering. That's, it it always makes for an interesting dynamic, but I've, I've seen now with, I can't say for hundred percent certainty, but just kind of scanning the scouts that were there yesterday, there were a lot of young guys out there, but the one thing I have found with the scouts, cause they do this pro day so much and they look at it as so routine. There are some things that they just find inexcusable. And if they tell you, they walk up and they, they show you the drill, even though you should know it, they show the drill and then a player will invariably screw that drill up. And you just, I mean, you talk about disdain, like underneath under their breath, they're like, we just showed you this daggum drill. What are you doing? And it's, it's always funny to me, their, their reaction to things, but probably, oh, wait, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's interesting hearing, hearing you say that because I've spoken with some scouts and I talked about that surly scout from, you know, 06, uh-huh. the scouts that I've been talking with recently said it has gotten so much nicer yeah, and yeah, so much yeah. kinder and gentler than those days. And this guy didn't really like it because he said there's a lot more waiting around and there's a lot more shenanigans going on. And he, and a lot of his contemporaries don't have the patience for it, but they're, they're kind of having to hold their tongues because things have changed in the world in general. So it's, it's interesting to hear that. And I wonder, I wonder what these, like that scout that I'm talking about that was surly. 
from way back. He's no longer with us. Yeah. But he's, I mean, he was a legend in the field. I wonder what, what he would think of some of the stuff that he's seeing these days. Drew, I remember I that was he would at, be seeing um, these days. I was at Rice Pro Day. It was Christian Covington's Pro Day. So that was 2015, I think. It was a while ago. Yeah. 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 And Christian had done a lot at the combine. So if I remember correctly, he was just running the 40. I'm trying to remember. Now, I know he was injured at some point. I remember him running the 40, and I remember him doing position drills. And so I was there, and I actually talked to Christian after, and I, would, I told him, I said, man, we, we could use you. Man, I'd love for you to. And he ended up with us. And so it was always, I love Christian. Cubs, one of the best dudes I've ever seen come to that locker room. Same, yeah. Really good My, player. He's made a lot favorite. out of his career. Huge, just a big, big fan favorite and a, and a big favorite of mine. We were, I was at that <clears throat> pro day, and I was standing where they were running the three-cone drill. And of course, it's rice. So they're smart guys, right? Well, this one guy just couldn't get the drill right. I don't know if he was just trying to quote unquote cheat the drill, which is something you're don't cheat the drill, or he just wasn't understanding it. But the, the shuttle run, when you do the shuttle run, so there's 10 yards. So you start straddling the line with your hand on the ground and you start to the, to the right and you touch it with your right hand. You turn, you come back, and you touch it with your left hand. You come back, and you finish. At least that's, you know, that's how it's normally done. Some say right hand, right hand. Maybe it's right hand, right hand all the way through. I, I don't know. Either way. But there's a, there's, a, there's a method to it, and the scout explains it. And, this, and there are about eight or ten scouts there. They split up. Some are time in the three cones. Some are time in the, the uh, shuttle. Then they get together, share their, their times and all that. So this kid doesn't touch the line. And he goes the other way, and then he doesn't touch the line. And the scout's like, hey, do it again. Like, hey, you got to touch the line. Well, the second time, he does the same thing. He doesn't touch the line. He kind of waves at it. Then he goes the other side. He touches it with his foot, and then he goes through. And this scout nearly exploded on him. He's like, what's wrong with you? I just told you, touch the line with your hand. And, I mean, this kid was just like, I mean, froze him in his tracks. Yeah. And I could see the other scouts like, yeah, yeah, touch the line with your hand. Like, he had support in saying what he was saying. And so then on the next one, it was like he started to the right, and it was like he slapped the ground with his hand. He went the other way, did the same thing. So I don't know what it cost him in time. But, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic at Pro Day because you do the scouts add such a, such a wrinkle. And obviously there's the pressure of the NFL and – you know, everything is magnified. You know, you do your position drills, and if you drop a pass, like, oh, man, could that be the pass that really, you know, my guys, uh, you, know, I, and you start panicking, and it gets, it gets rough. You run the 40, and maybe it's not as good a time. You know, at the combine, they don't share the times in the building. At pro day, there are enough hangers on. Uh, that's the wrong way of putting it. But there are enough people that are, are you know, kind of around the, the school, university, mm -hmm. that are timing as well. Mm -hmm. and they'll run up and go, hey, man, you just ran 4-5. And, you know, the guy might be, you know, wishing to run four, three, he might be disappointed and that like works through his workout, but essentially what they do at the combine, they do in their pro day. And like the combine, this is the part that really isn't so much pro day, but for a number of prospects, they'll have a dinner or maybe an interview with a team that night mm -hmm. before the pro day. I've heard of that plenty. Hey, the, the coach and the GM are going to be here before your pro day. They're going to take you to dinner, talk to you. Then you're going to work out pro day. Uh, and I've also seen pro days where guys have just crushed it. And then when the pro day is over, I see that guy walking off with a scout somewhere and they're going to dinner 
either that night or the next night because or, a scout has been really interested in that particular player or man, that caught the attention of the GM who was there and he took off with the scout, took him somewhere. I, it's, it's crazy. Pro days kind of got this a little bit of kind of a wild, wild West thing to it. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to say because controlled in that environment for that time frame. you talk about him walking off with a scout to go get dinner. I've seen him walking off with a scout to another part of the building and the scout puts him through hell, puts him through right. like a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a workout of his own that he puts linemen, like the linemen. I remember there's a Cleveland Brown scout who was it? He was not, this guy was not surly, but this guy was a very, he was old school. You could tell he had been through the, the, the ringer uh, of life. And this guy was putting, I can't, I, I don't know if it was Louis Ramirez or someone else. Cause tech had some good linemen that year, but like, there was a lot of agility work that this guy was doing in a short space. And yeah, it, it was really fascinating to see. And that's a common occurrence. There's lots of little side drill oh, work. Yeah. That's not part of what you normally would do in a combine experience or the typical pro day uh, drill experience. And yeah, all sorts of wild, wild West. What you just said, perfect explanation for what a pro day can be, can become. No doubt. And if a guy is a really good prospect or there are pro multiple prospects, it, I found this out in talking to scouts um, over the years that, and I think it was Brian Gain and I talked about this. He said, look, there's sort of a hierarchy of things. If there are no coaches there to run the drills, then the scouts run them. If there are coaches that are there, then the position coaches, then the position coaches run them. And a great example of that was at Texas A&M last week, Kenyon Green, mm -hmm. offensive guard, interior offensive lineman for A&M was there. And there were probably three or four offensive line coaches there. So one offensive line coach, so the scouts step back, offensive line coach steps up, works him through a few drills. Then another offensive line coach is like, hey, I want to see this drill. So he steps up and he's like, hey, I want you to do this. Is there a and hierarchy then, between the coaches at that point? Like, I don't is, know. Is it like I don't the senior know about most that. coach or the I don't, I don't know about most that. local? I, I don't know about that, but I know Joe Philbin was one of those coaches. Mm. And he was like second or third to go. And so each coach then added on top of that. Okay, that was good. I saw you do that, but I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And then, so Kenyon Green thinks he's done. And then offensive line coach comes over. No, 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 I want you here. I want you to do this. Line up next to this guy. We're going to work on down blocks or we're going to work on your pole. And then they would work on that. And another coach would come in and he might do, well, he might do one drill. That's it. One thing. And that's all he wants to see. All right, he's out of there. Uh, and then of course, scouts and coaches are talking to players and I always find th that that sort of thing the hierarchy like if the coaches are there kind of who does what drills yeah. like who puts them through what what drills they want to see I always find that interesting um, as it pertains to these prospects but you know when the pro day is over that's it and I always think about that when when it's actually over that's the last time those guys are going to be on that campus as a Texas Aggie or as yeah. a Bearcat. I mean, it's the last time. That's it. All that they've they've done. There's a tinge of melancholy. There's a tinge yeah. of melancholy with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. And 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 you know, some guys like Zion McCollum, who um, I've gotten, I got the Harris 100. I think Zion's a, a heck of a football player, uh, and his twin, bro twin brother worked out. And those guys have been together. I mean, you you know that. I mean, the yeah. twins. They've been together from jump, so they're identical. And Zion's a little bit taller. Tristan played safety. Zion played corner. They played almost every game together if they weren't hurt. I mean, it was, just, it was incredible to watch and, uh, and see them and then to see them transition on. And, and you'll go through this. Your twins will be together for their, you know, their entire lives, and then all of a sudden college comes. And maybe they go to the same college, maybe they don't. 
these guys did, and they played football together. You know, you're going to have to go through that where there's that twin separation, which I find fascinating because that's what's going to have to happen with Zion and Tristan, that they're going to have to split up. Well, it's fun to be in Huntsville. It's always been great to be in Waco College Station right here in the city of Houston for all of these pro days. And Drew is obviously a great wingman whenever we get out there. All right, we get back. We'll go around the NFL and finish up right here at Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you. I'm John Harris. Love being back on the air after a couple days off, as I say in air quotes, because I was working all day in Huntsville yesterday. Mark was down in Palm Beach. He was getting all the great interviews. And as Mark and I have discussed over the years, I get to go to the Senior Bowl. Mark gets to go to the annual meetings. I don't know who wins in that. I feel like that's lopsided for me, but that's just me. I, I thought we'd go around the league. Not too much happened. Arden Key, who I think is underrated signing, signs with Jacksonville. I think he's going to make some plays with Jacksonville. But I have to see Bucky Brooks put out a mock draft. And I am opening it up as we speak. So I'm seeing, all right, let's get to number three. Kayvon Thibodeau, Houston Texans. I've said this a few times. I think Thibodeau is a really good football player. I just don't think he ends up in Houston. Let's see what happens at 13. Bucky Brooks, what'd you do? Ooh, Drake London from out of USC. I feel like London people are very split on. I love Drake London. I wish Drake, and he's not going to run because he had an injury that he suffered, I think, October. But he, in the seven, six, seven games he played at USC this year, he's completely dominant. Dominant. I mean, he was just incredible. I mean, Moss and DBs down the field. Drake London would be a really fun addition. Now, you can argue, you don't have Nico Collins, so maybe the other type of receiver could be a guy like Jamison Williams. I had that idea as I was driving back from Huntsville. I told Ron and, and Clint today I was having some ideas, and that was one of them. Jamison Williams, speed, hmm, something to think about. We'll have plenty to think about tomorrow. We'll have the general on with Mark and myself. Big thanks to Mark and Drew for joining me tonight. My guys back in studio for taking, uh, taking care of me. We'll see you guys tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.